Hello again, Browns fans, and welcome to another edition of Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. I'm Jay Crawford. So good to be with you again as we continue our series of sitting down with current and former Cleveland Brown greats. And this week, we are thrilled to be joined by number 43, the old fullback for the 70s and 80s Cleveland Browns, Mike Pruitt. Welcome to Club 46. Very good to see you again. How are you? I'm doing fine, Jay. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I know our fans are very anxious to hear from you to what you're doing these days and also some of your old memories of playing for some Cleveland Browns teams that were just so memorable, gave us many heart attacks, but also gave yes. us many great memories. Very and, true. Mike, I like to start each week by asking the player for their favorite memory during their time with the Cleveland Browns, and you had so many highlights. But for you, what's the one thing that stands out the most about your time in Cleveland? Well, you know, the, it's, it, it was, like you said, we had many good times, but I never forget coming back uh, on the airplane, or I think it was, when we had, um, I think, beat the Bengals, you know, to be in the, to be in the playoffs. Powerful Mike Pruitt was the weapon as the Browns drove downfield in another race with the clock. And we got off the plane. There were so many people. Somebody said there were like 20, 25,000 people at the airport. And this was at 10 o'clock at night. And that just absolutely amazed me. I figured, okay, you know, we may see a few people like family and everything else, but you couldn't find your car because there were so many people. I remember that time very well. Um, it, there was, it was a period of a drought um, by today's standards. <laughs> I don't think it qualifies <laughs> as a drought. It had been, I believe, eight years since the Browns had made the playoffs last. What did you feel from the city finally getting over that hump in 79 and, and leading that team to the playoffs? Well, you know what? I thought the city was, was great anyway. I mean, I have, you know, going to – and knowing a few guys on different teams, nobody treats their players like the Cleveland Browns fans treat their players. And I noticed this when I left and I went to Kansas City, you know, for a few years, you know, after being with the Browns, they don't treat their players like the, like the fans treat their players here in Cleveland. It's just, I don't, I don't think the only other city that I think is somewhat similar or close is maybe Denver. The Broncos. Yeah, very interesting. We'll come back and we'll talk much more about the Cleveland Browns, your memories and your times here with the franchise. But now I want to go back to the beginning. Um, take us back to the early years of Mike Pruitt growing up in Chicago. What was life like for a youngster growing up in Chicago during your years? Well, you know, it was interesting growing up in, in Chicago, now that I think back on it all those years. You know, we grew up uh, on the uh, south side of uh, Chicago and, you know, we were somewhat poor, but, you know, when you're a child, you don't know you're poor. You just, this is just the way it is and um, um, you just, you just live it. But I would get up at the first thing in the morning and I would go outside, you know, at, and then come back until my mother said you had to be back home before the street lights came on so um i would get out and we we'd get together with uh, friends we play uh, baseball they called it strikeout at this time you paint a box on the wall with the x on it and you had a rubber ball and you would hit it <laughs> <laughs> i remember if the if the ball was in the box it's a strike that's exactly right see you you're going back a few years too now <laughs> i've got some years under my belt mike <laughs> but yeah we did a lot of that and you know my Jay, my first love was track. Um, yeah. I started running track when I was nine years old. And I never forget the coach in the area um, tested us. And, you know, if you, you know, ran so fast, he would put you on the, um, the, uh, the city's track team. So I guess I made the city's track team. And I figured, wow, man, I can't believe I made it. But I got all these ribbons in the 50-yard dash. I had all these ribbons. My mother kept saying, where are you getting these ribbons from? 
And she, my mother knew nothing about sports. She thought football was stupid anyway. She just said, this is a stupid <laughs> boy. All you do is come home hurt all the time. <laughs> but, you know, track was my first love. And I thought I was going to be an Olympian track and, and track. Uh, those days never worked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, for a man that grew into the size that you were as a player, you always possessed the speed of a much smaller person. And do you, do you look back to your early years of running track as sort of helping you learn how to, how to handle that speed? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, matter of fact, like I said, when I started running track at about nine years old, eight to nine years old, uh, the track coach taught us how to run. And he taught us how to build our speed, you know. So he had these speed drills that he would put us through. And he had us at that time even running hills, running up hills and running downhill. And so, um, so most of the speed is you're born with it, you know. Sure. But um, uh, he can't teach you how to, you know, the coach can't teach you how to run actually faster. So to me, I, you know, I was always amazed that none of my brothers and sisters, even my older brother, uh, you know, couldn't outrun me. And I thought, you know, because he was older, he was, you know, bigger, you know, he could outrun me. But sure, I found that even the older kids couldn't outrun me, you know, so it was something that I was blessed with. Well, how far did you take track? Did you run through high school? Did you run it? Yes, I did. Uh, I ran through high school and uh, I never forget, I did run at Purdue. I ran my uh, freshman and going into my sophomore year, this was indoor. And uh, the coach came up to me. He says, Mike, um, because, you know, the track season, especially indoor, took, took place during the uh, spring football. You know, so uh, he says, Mike, I got something to talk to you about. I don't think you're going to make a whole lot of money in track, but I do think that you have possibility to make some money in football. So I think you should come to spring training. That was the end of my track days. Sadly, that's the way it is. Track and field yeah. certainly doesn't play pay as well as, as football. No, that's true. So that ended my track days. So let's go back, Mike. Um, what was life like for you growing up in, in your family? How many siblings did you have? What was what was that like? It was uh, actually um, it was five of us: four boys, one girl, and I'm the middle child. You know, so the middle child don't get no love. You know what I mean? I'm the middle get the five love. too, Mike. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, it was a great family. I had both my mother and my father. My father worked two jobs, uh, so I didn't see my father much. But my mother was the discipline, the person who disciplined us. And um, I tell this story, which is a true story, that when I was 17, you know, and I had to be home by, you know, 1030 before the streetlights came on. But uh, uh, my friends would always say, Mike, you, you got to go home, man. Are you a sissy or something? Man, you 17 years old. You can't stay out. You know, they stay out to 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. So I think, you know what? I ain't going home. You know what I mean? I'm going to stick around, hang out with the guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm 17. So it goes to 11, 30, 12 o'clock. And then one of the guys said, man, it, ain't that your mother coming down the street? I said, oh, man, my mother had a little broom in her hand. And uh, I had to cross on the other side of the street and go home. And I never forget, she beat me with a broom. She beat me with a shoe. And she said, you're not going to be out here in these streets all night. Ain't nothing going on after 11 o'clock at night but trouble. And you're not going to be out in these streets. You know, Jay, that was the best thing that ever happened to me that I wasn't out because I was home and a lot of those guys that I grew up with, some died, some was on drugs, and some, you know, dropped out of high school. All, the, all those things, and I give my mother a lot of credit. She knew all those things when I didn't know. And she said, you are not going to be out here in these streets. You are not going to do this. And that was the best thing that she ever done for me. 
moms know best. And they that's, do. Uh, it, and, you know, similar advice was given to me, and I gave it to my kids. After mm -hmm. 11 o'clock, nothing good goes on out there. Ain't nothing good going on. You're right. <laughs> you need to have your butt in the home. <laughs> that's that where you need truth. to be. That is the truth. That is Would true. you say that um, w was dad a, an influence in your love of sports? How did that come about? Uh, no, my dad never played sports. He was from uh, Georgia. And a lot of people don't know, um, my father was only 5'8", and I think he weighed 150 pounds. And, and yeah, my father was real small. And all my brothers were six feet and over 200 pounds. Including my, including my sister is six feet. <laughs> so my aunt used to always tell my mother, I don't know where you got these kids from. <laughs> you know. How old were you, Mike, when you, when you fell into football? And how did oh, that happen? Oh, I probably, you know what? Actually, I didn't play organized football because they didn't have what they have now, you know, junior leagues and stuff like that. I didn't play organized football until I got to high school. Really? Right. And uh, my brother, I never forget, my brother was, uh, my older brother was an offensive lineman uh, in high school, you know. So when I got there, uh, the coach was there, and he figured, hey, my brother was an all-state offensive lineman. That's what he's going to make me, an offensive lineman. And I hated it. I hated it. As a matter of fact, as a sophomore, I quit the team. I figured, I ain't going to do this. I don't like being a, a lineman. And the coach came to my mother's house. He said, I'd like to have Mike back on the team, you know what I mean? And I said, coach, I don't want to play on the line. Give me a chance at running back, you know what I mean? <laughs> he said, oh, okay, come on back out then. So I came on back out. He put me right back on the line. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, and then all sweat. the running back, you, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate for me, but all the running backs got hurt. He said, Mike, I'm putting you at running back, you know, because everybody's hurt and everything else. So I remember we were playing a game. I probably only four to five days at, at running back, you know what I mean, learning the plays and, and everything else. And um, we played the game. I got a chance to run the ball. I think it was 180 to 200 yards rushing that I had that day. Running back? First game as a running back. And yeah. a star is born. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he said. He said, dog, I can't believe this. I should have had you at running back a long time ago. I said, I told you that, coach. I told you that. And your days as an offensive lineman were officially My over. day with offensive lineman was over. Then I became a from running back from there on out. Mike, I'm wondering, because you were a fullback at, at Purdue and in the NFL, and obviously the fullback position then was much different right. than it is today. Right. Do you mm -hmm. think that your your brief time as an offensive lineman learning how to use body weight leverage and blocking, do you think mm -hmm. that at all helped in, in your ability to play a position that also required you to be the first guy through the hole and, and to hit somebody and to block someone? You already had that experience. Yeah, you know, Jay, uh, it's true, but it was a little different for me, even though I – played the fullback position, even at the Browns, when I played the fullback position, I got a chance to run the ball more than halfback. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, much different you know, so, time. Right, yeah. So uh, even as a fullback in, in, in high school, I got to run the ball more than, than the halfback because, like I said, I had more success than the halfback. So, uh, so even though I was up front, a lot of mine were the quick hitters you know, right up the middle. And uh, um, I, lo I love that, even with the Browns, you know. I love those quick hitters, you know what I mean? Because you're through by the time everybody else figure out, what, what, you know, what happened. <laughs> right. you know, you're down, you're down they're, the field they're already. chasing you now. That's right. They're chasing you now. That's true, too. So even though I was a fullback, I wasn't the greatest blocker. And Greg Pruitt probably can tell you that, uh, <laughs> you know. I wasn't the greatest blocker, but neither was he. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he would also tell us that, too. <laughs> yeah. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Clutch performance when it matters most. That's why Bridgestone DriveGuard tires are built with the resilience to withstand bumps, bruises, even nails. 
engineered to drive up to 50 miles after a flat, they're designed with the sole purpose of getting you where you need to go. Bridgestone, official tire of the NFL. So, Mike, at what point in your high school career did you realize, hey, I, I might be good enough to do this at the collegiate level? You know what? I thought so as a senior. And um, I was surprised because I was an all-state, you know, running back and everything else. That I began to get all these letters from different colleges and, and schools. And my mother kept saying, why are you getting all these letters? Which, like I said, she never understood football. To her, it was stupid stuff. She said, why are you getting all these letters? I said, Mom, they're, they're recruiting me. So I told her I was going to Iowa. I told her I was going to Michigan. She said, why are you going all these different places? Just choose one college. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Mom, they're recruiting me. I'm going to, going to check out the different, the different places. And so um, I did. I went and checked out a lot of different colleges. And then when I went to Purdue, this, this is crazy, but I, I, I went to Purdue, and there was a guy already there from the Chicago area by the name of Otis Armstrong. I don't know if you remember Otis Armstrong. Oh, I do. I do. Yeah. But Otis Armstrong and Daryl Stingley. Wow. Uh, yeah, were there. And uh, I'm thinking, wow, man, these guys are from the Chicago area, and they're in Purdue? I said, wow, okay. So they were in charge of uh, showing me around the campus and everything else. Well, they took me by this guy's house and everything else. And they say, Mike, uh, we're going to show you around. We'll be back. He didn't come back to the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago hospitality. Right, Chicago hospitality. So I never got to see the campus. <laughs> and I was due to go back the next day. But I, I, I liked the school so much. I said, you know what? Ah, they, these guys are from Chicago. They've had success here. You know what? It's not that far from Chicago, two and a half hours, you know, drive. I mean, eh, my mom may want to come to the game maybe one of these days, you know, so I think I'll go to Purdue. And that wow. was the best, best decision I made. Yeah. When you look mm -hmm. back on that, was mom able to come and see you at all as a high school football player? No, she, ne she never, like I said, she never was interested. When she found out that I, that I got a, a scholarship because my sisters and brothers all had to pay for school. She said, you don't have to, you don't have to pay for school. You don't have to pay for nothing. I said, no, mama, I'm, I'm on scholarship. How are they doing this? How are they letting you go to school without paying? <laughs> oh. uh, so, but she did come to one game. She didn't understand. She didn't understand anything. The all she was doing was looking around and seeing all these people at, at, at one place. She was thinking, I can't believe all these people come to one place to, to watch you guys run on the, run around on the field and stuff like that. You <laughs> That's know? beautiful. So it, she was amazed by that. All these people in one place at, at the stadium, I think it was 65,000. She said, wow, I can't believe all these people in one place. What did, <laughs> what did Pops think of it? What was his impression? Uh, he was glad to see me leave the area, you know what I mean? Because he knew that, you know, if you were around that, you're going to be doing the same thing that they're doing, which right. is a bunch of nothing, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, things so, that lead to no good, really. Well, things that lead to no good, that's exactly right. So I was glad to, I was glad to actually to leave the area because you got to meet a lot of different people. I had met, I had never met anybody from the country. Wow. And I met a lot of people from the country at Purdue. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them hang out in West Lafayette. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I had, I had seen so many different people, you know what I mean, that uh, it amazed me. The classrooms, because our classrooms maybe have, you know, maybe 15, 20 people. I was in these big theaters with 100, 120 people, and this is my biology class. I'm thinking, my goodness. You know what I mean? So to me, it was a uh, definitely an awakening going off to a big school like Purdue. Mike, what did you study at Purdue? I was a business major. Business. Uh, I, I thought I was going to be an actor like, like Jim Brown. I figured, well, I'm going to go into, you know, <laughs> theater and stuff like that. I did do theater maybe for about a half a year or something like that. 
Right. And I think, you know what, I ain't crazy about this, you know. So <laughs> let me, I had to switch majors <laughs> quick. So what was the biggest, what was the bigger shock for you? The transition from high school football to college football or the transition from life as a high school, living in a home with some pretty strict rules to mm -hmm. going to West Lafayette at a time when everybody was learning how to be an adult and kind of melding together with all these people from all these different places across the country coming together. What was the bigger shock for you? Uh, just a lot apart. The biggest shock for me was leaving inner city Chicago where you know everybody and you really don't venture out much because you have everything in the neighborhoods. You got the stores in the neighborhoods, you know, you have your different things. So you never really have to come out of the neighborhood. And this was a rude awakening to me going to Purdue with 40,000 students. And you're, you're going to different classes or, or you're meeting people from different countries, actually. We had some people from, from different countries and that just actually amazed me because again, I, I really felt out of place. I called my mother, I said, you know, the classes were hard. You know, you had to study and, and everything else. You go to study hall and there's 200 people at study hall. I'm thinking, man. So I called my mother as a freshman because I was having problems, you know, on the freshman team. Yeah, I got there. I figured, you know, I'm going to get to play right away. They had me on the freshman team, and I was on the, I would think I was fifth on the uh, fifth running back on the, wow. on, the freshman, on the freshman team. I was behind the coach's son. <laughs> <laughs> who, Fairly or Who ran a five flat 40. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so demoralized. I think I called my mother and said, I can't do this. I'm coming home. She said, you are not coming home. She said, ain't nothing here for you. You're going to stay there. You're going to stick it out. And you're going to adapt where you are. She said, there's nothing here. You're not coming home. So you just stay right there and stick it out. Again, mama was right. I stayed there. Yeah, I stuck it out. And I went from 15 to starting as a sophomore. Really? You know? Yeah, starting as a sophomore. What do you attribute you that to? Huh? You know what, I was, again, I was able to break loose and, uh, you know, and run for touchdowns. But you know what happened to me, Jay? What happened? And I tell everybody this, I even tell my sons this. I learned something that time. I never forget, I was the only sophomore starter as a running back on the whole team. I was the only sophomore starting. So I got the big head. You know how you get the big head. I'm thinking I'm the only, only sophomore starting and everything else. And it was a game, I think it was Northwestern. I think I fumbled three or four times. And they took me out of the game. And they put in this guy who was actually a senior. Um, I never forget his name, it was Pete Growth. He was a senior and I was a sophomore. So they put him in because I was fumbling and I never got the job back that whole sophomore year. I sat on the bench. I sat on the bench. That was so demoralizing. But I learned something. Is that you can't think that you're all of that because you can be replaced. You definitely can be replaced. So I had to work my way back as a junior to get the job back. And I'll never forget. I'll never be cocky or thinking that I'm all that again, because my mother always said, pride goes before fall. She said, look out, that tree is coming down. You just don't want to be under it when it comes down. So I never, I always thought about that. You know what? You always stay humble, no matter what it is that you're doing and that you accomplish, you stay humble. And I've seen so many guys and it, that happened, the same thing happened to them. They thought that they were big stuff. Before you know it, they were gone. You think, whatever happened to, what's her, what's it, what was his name again? You right, know? right. How soon we forget. That's true, too. That is true. Mike, it's funny. In talking with you, mom 
may not have known much about football, but she may have taught you the most valuable lessons of your life, not just about life, but lessons that you could transfer into your football days. You know, what's very true. It's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that, Jay, because you are so right. My mother only had a fourth grade education coming from, from, from Arkansas. And her and my father left, uh, left the South, and they came to Chicago just for, they say, a few months, but they never left <laughs> because, they got, because they got jobs and, and they never left. But my mother, even though she wasn't educated, she had tons and tons of street sense, and she had common sense, and she had experience behind her. My mother may not have had the education, that she probably could have, but she had way more than education, especially what I needed. And all five of us, because all five of us went and finished college, all five of us from the wow. inner city. You know? I, I've, I've often said, uh, give me common sense over book learned knowledge any day, because the life lessons are the things that will propel you to success. I had a mother very similar to yours, Mike, and mm -hmm. looking back on many of the life lessons I learned, I didn't learn them in, in classrooms or out of books at college. No, very I learned true. Them from, from my mother and father. So your um, big fat serving a humble pie as a sophomore right. <laughs> projected you to work harder before right. your junior season where you really, that's where you really made a name for yourself at the collegiate level. And of course, your senior year where you were mm -hmm. back up to Archie as, uh, as right. a second team, uh, all Big Ten running mm -hmm. back. Take us through those last two years of college. How were those different from your first two? You know, those first two years, I took it for, took it for granted. And, uh, you know, I, I just basically went off my physical you know, ability. And I knew that I had to develop myself, not only physically, but mentally. I had to be mentally strong as well. So, you know, going into my junior year, I didn't go back home like all the other players did. You know, they left, they left for school and then, you know, everybody goes home. I told my mother I wasn't coming home that uh, I was gonna stay at Purdue. And, you know, once Purdue, once the students leave, it's like ghost town. Because, you know, the Lafayette, Indiana population is only about 17,000. And the students make up 42,000, you know. So once all the students left, it's like ghost town. It's a big farm town. It's a big farm town. That's exactly right. So I stayed at Purdue and I worked out. And I worked out. They let me work out at, you know, at the stadium and everything else. And I worked out. I ran the stairs. I did all kinds of things, physical things. I read up books on, on how to work out. You know, I was lifting weights to make myself stronger, but I was actually running at midnight. I would, I would go because I didn't want nobody to be bothering me and have to talk to me. So I would run at midnight, you know, run the two or three, two or three or four miles at midnight, you know, just to get myself in shape. So when the season started, for my junior year, I was in probably the best shape of my life. And I just carried that over even to um, um, my senior season as well. I kept those same habits of working out all the time, making myself strong and make myself stronger mentally. And I would visualize some of the things that, you know, I would do on the field. And I kept doing that and it kept happening. I'm thinking, wow, I can't believe that. I'm visualizing these things. These things are happening. So I kept doing, I kept doing those things, kept doing those things. Matter of fact, I even did it through my whole professional uh, uh, career. You know, after that, you know, after I got cocky and I had to get myself together again, you know what I mean? Uh, then that's when I really started back. I said, hmm, I got to get back on that program that I had when I was in college. Where did you learn the art of visualization? Was that something that was taught to you or something you just experimented with on your own? You know, I experimented with it, but um, I never forget. I read a book that I forget the book on subconscious or, or something like this. This has been many, many years ago. And, uh, oh, Napoleon Hill. Oh, okay. Uh, 
Napoleon Hill's book, you know, it was Think and Grow Rich, but it was Think, you know what I mean? So I'm thinking, oh, wow, man, I'm going to try this, you know, man, can't hurt, let me try it. So I would sit in a room by myself for maybe a half hour and just visualize things that, that I wanted to, wanted to happen. And I was amazed that after a while, a lot of those things happened. And I still, I still do that to, these, to this day, is I still visualize things. I'm thinking, wow, there's something to this. So I began to read other different books on thinking and the subconscious and your conscience mind and those kind of things. And those really enlightened me to how I, how I should uh, even lead my own life. Wow. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Performance when it matters most. Which is why Bridgestone tires are built for just that. Whether it's driving up to 50 miles to safety after a flat, confident control in wet conditions, or the dependability of an 80,000-mile limited warranty, Bridgestone's roster of tires has got you covered. Bridgestone, official tire of the NFL. Conditions apply. See BridgestoneTire.com slash warranty for details. So your career arc at Purdue went from five deep on the freshman team Mm-hmm. starting as a sophomore to benched due to the fumbling. So you're going up and down and up and down. And then all of a sudden your junior year comes and now you're growing into Mike Pruitt, big 10 star running back. Your numbers, your junior season and your senior season were incredibly impressive. What's your mindset now as you're, do you still have school to go, but are you thinking at this point, I'm going to do this for a paycheck one day. You know, Jay, um, that's one thing that I never, never concentrate on is, well, I figured, well, I may get drafted. You know what I mean? Like I said, I had humbled myself. So I figured, well, you know, if I get drafted, fine. You know what I mean? Even if I get drafted in the fourth or fifth round, you know what I mean? I'm a, I'll, I'll, I'll make the best of it. See, back then, they didn't tell you that somebody was interested in you or that you were going different places or you may go this round or that round. At that time, it was all what happens. So I figured, eh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe some team will be interested. And uh, I never forget, uh, I did get some interest from the, uh, the New York Jets. And they said, ah, Mike, you know, maybe later rounds, you know, we may take you and everything else. I said, yeah, okay. That's fine. Hey, look, as long as I got the opportunity, I can I can go from there. <clears throat> so it was draft day and, you know, I'm sitting at home and I told my friends, you know, don't call me and everything. Else. You know, I'll probably get a call later that day or something like that. So um, I get a call early in the morning. It's about 930. I think I told them not to call me. You know what I mean? They would call me and, you know, and pull, pull pranks on me and stuff. You know what I mean? So I get this call at 930. I said, man, I told you not to call me. They said, said, is this Mike Pruitt? I said, yeah, yeah, this is Mike Pruitt. I said, come on, don't be playing with me now. Don't go, don't, don't play with me. I thought it was one of the guys. Sure. I really did. And they said, uh, no, uh, we're not one of the guys. This, this is Art Modell. <laughs> and uh, we just drafted you. The Cleveland Browns, just, we just drafted you. You could hear silence. I, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I was dumbfounded. I'm thinking, are you serious? Are you serious? He said, yeah, because Clean Brown, we just drafted you as the number seventh player. Man, I dropped that dog on phone. I started jumping. I started jumping and running. I left, I left Art Modell on the phone. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I'm jumping and running. I left him on the phone. I had to go back and get the phone. I'm sorry. 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 <laughs> So he says, okay, he said, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you back. I'm gonna have you come in to come into Cleveland and everything else. I hung up and man, I was running because I lived in an apartment upstairs. And the lady across the hall was saying, What's going on over there? What's going on over there? <laughs> I just got drafted. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I was I was I was shocked. I mean, the seventh player in the first round, taken out, I'm thinking, 
that it doesn't happen to doesn't happen to people like me. It may happen to somebody like Archie Griffin, who's a Heisman Trophy winner or something. You know what I mean? But not me. You know. But I was shocked. I was just I was thrilled to no end to know that somebody had that much interest in me to to want to put that much stock in me. Where was Archie drafted? I know the Bengals took him, but yeah, he was. Uh, I think he's like the twenty fifth player, 25th or 26th player in the first round. So what were you thinking that you're going before this two-time Heisman Trophy winner, right. this sensation, and, and you get the call 18 picks before he does? Right, and that's what really shocked me because there were some other good running backs around the league at the time. Chuck Muncie, I don't know if you remember Chuck Muncie. I remember Chuck. Uh, and uh, I wasn't surprised Chuck, Chuck went high because he was – six foot four, you know, 230, 240 pounds at the time. But, um, you know, I was surprised Archie didn't go as high as he did. He went in the first round, but I was, I was shocked. A lot of running backs that had better years that year than me. And I went, I went before they went. And it, to this day, it still shocks me why, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, well, they already got one Pruitt. Why would they want to be? They got two Pruitts now. You really have to credit the Browns, though, because Greg coming out of Oklahoma was very highly thought of as well. Yeah, but I follow his career. He was a tremendous running back at Oklahoma. And, and for the Browns to pluck you out, with the seventh overall pick, and then for you to have the career that you had, when you when you run the football for a decade in the NFL, that means you're doing a lot of things right. And that is, by all measures, that is a tremendous career. You really have to credit the Browns for seeing the ability and, and the talent in you to go out on that limb and take you so early. When you said you were getting interest from the Jets, and that was pretty much it leading up to the draft. That was it, yeah. Yeah, wow. that was it. Yeah, and that surprised me uh, so much that uh, it made me work harder, though. You know what I mean? It made me work harder that somebody would put this kind of faith in me that, you know, I don't want to let them down. You know what I mean? So I'm going I'm to do everything I can to, uh, to make the best of this situation. So, again... It, it was good that it happened to me, but also, too, it was a great learning experience for me. And what I mean by learning experience is that, you know, things great like that can happen to you, but they can also, too, turn on a heart in a heartbeat and go the other way. And I've seen a lot of guys who were number one draft choice that were bust outs. You probably know as well, you know. So, uh, you know, you got a lot of these guys. And I didn't want to be one of those guys that's going to be a number one draft choice at the bust out. Yeah. Well, there's certainly not a predictor of success as we've seen through the years. That's true. So what's your first experience with the Cleveland Browns then outside of the phone call from Art that where you thought you were being pranked? You know what? This, I tell this, and, and I've told Greg this as well. I was so thrilled to meet Greg Pruitt. You know what I mean? Because I had followed him in college at Oklahoma, you know, run-up Heisman Trophy winner and, and everything else. I said, man, this guy is just something. You know what I mean? So I get to Cleveland, and i never forget we're our first day of practice. And I go up, I say, hey, Greg, how you doing, man? I, I followed your career and everything else. Greg shocked me. He said, man, they drafted you so you can block for me. Uh, I was shocked. <laughs> I was in awe. I didn't know what to say. I had my mouth open. I had my mouth open. Wow. <laughs> you know, Greg was cocky at that time, too. <laughs> he, had, he had a little bit of arrogance to him. Uh, we're best of friends now. But, man, back then, I, I was just, I was shocked. And then, I, then after a while, I thought about it. I'm thinking, hey, wait a minute. I went back up to Greg, and I said, hey, you were a number two draft to us. I was a number one. Don't you forget that. <laughs> Mike what was your first training camp like you know the first training camp was was tough Jay it was tough because 
Forrest Gregg had us doing what you call these ladder drills where you you run 10 yards and you come back. You run 20 yards, you come back. You run 30 yards, you come back. You run 40 yards, all the way to 100 yards, and then you come back. When you come back, you start over again. And you do about, they call ladder drills, you do about 10 of those. And once, everybody, once everybody's done, everybody is, is laying on the ground. You know what I mean? I never, ever worked that hard. I mean, you were spent. After, and we had to do these every day after practice, not before, after practice. You know what I mean? We were in great shape. You could, you could say we weren't in shape because we were in great shape. And that really, I had never, ever worked out like that before. You told us the story of meeting Greg for the first time. Do you have another training camp story that stands out for you during that first training camp? Uh yeah, I remember this this training camp, uh, and we used to have meetings, you know, after afterwards and everything else. And um, so we're in this like like little theater room and everything else. And uh, you know, Forrest Greg is going over the plays and everything else. And um, uh, I was nodding because it was after practice, you know. So I'm nodding in the meetings and everything else. So I nod off, and then I wake up. I didn't know Forrest Greg had told everybody to leave the, you know, leave the auditorium. So I'm still asleep. I wake up, the light's off, and there's nobody in the room. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. So everybody was outside again. the meeting room? That's right. They were all... It, Everybody cleared everybody out except me. Left me sitting there. I'm the only one in the whole theater with the lights out, sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and this is another rook. I'm thinking, oh man, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> you probably never heard the end of that one. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I Training didn't. camp is so much different now than it was. You guys had oh. doubles. Oh, you yeah, had that's full right. contact hitting. It was it was attrition. It really was. Um, even though physically, perhaps the, um, the rigors of training camp are much different now, it's still for incoming rookies. It's still quite an experience. Mike, do you have advice to any incoming rookies on how to handle and navigate that first training camp? I would say, first of all, come in with a humble attitude, you know what I mean? And do everything that you can to keep yourself in great shape because usually doing training camp like that, you know, you got guys that are trying to make the team. You know what I mean? So you get you can get hurt very, very easily and very, very quickly. And even though you may not have one on pads, these guys are trying to make the team. So they may end up tackling you anyway. So you have to make sure you alert and 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 protect yourself. And don't ever come to try to come to training camp to get in shape. <laughs> because you get left behind. <laughs> yeah, show up ready to go in shape. That's right. So don't try to come to training camp and get in shape because you can see a person that's out of shape. You know, all they have to do is run that first, we call them ladder drill. Well, that first ladder drill and the guys already, they got to give him water, they got to give him CPR and everything else. You know, <laughs> you know he's out of shape. Mike, did you have in your rookie season, did you have a welcome to the NFL moment where you where you kind of said to yourself, okay, I'm here? You know what? I did have that, and um, I had that in the, in the Buffalo game. And I never forget, I was a, uh, I think it was my third, third year. And, you know, I didn't play much my first two years, but I got to play a lot when San Ritigliano came. Mike Pruitt, who is a number one draft choice out of Purdue. He's a very interesting young man because he has all the redeemable qualities to be an excellent running back in the National Football League. He seems right now to be a little apprehensive, and I think he's lost a little confidence in himself because he hasn't had the opportunity to play. And we very much want to integrate him into our offense and feel that we want to use him more and try to get him to realize the talent that he had when he was selected as a number one choice. He said, this Mike Pruitt here, I'm going to find out what he's like. So I got to play in the Buffalo game. And I had mentioned to Greg, I like these, you know, four, I mean, 
San Rotigliano, I like these quick hitting plays, you know what I mean? So he put in a quick hitting play for me. And I never forget, I had a quick hitter right up the middle. And that's when I went for my first long run of 73 yards, you know, you know, for a touchdown. And then, you know, Sam Rotigliano said, I can't believe this. I can't believe a man that 230 pounds could, could run like that, you know what I mean? So he was getting to know me at the time. Uh, he knew about, you know, Greg, because Greg was already there, and a few of the other guys, but he didn't know much about me, you know. So uh, he was learning about me, which really was a great thing for me because I got to learn a lot from some Sam Retigliano about life. And I think a lot of other guys, too, learn a lot about life. He used to say this all the time. His favorite phrase were, you know, Mike, in this game, they all, they're going to get us one day. That means that you're not going to be in the game. They're going to get us one day, but they're going to get you before they get me. <laughs> 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 he said, so you better keep doing what you can do because they get us all one day. They're going to get me one day, too. But, hey. They're going to get you before they get me. So I'm going to keep working. So you better keep working. <laughs> As I remember it, it wasn't it that third season that Greg went down with an injury? Yes. And then you really, everybody got to know, not just Sam Ritigliano, everybody got to know that Mike Pruitt had explosiveness and had speed and could run you over or could run past you both in the same play. What was that like for you as you're getting more of an opportunity and now you're making a real name for yourself in the league? You know, Jay, it was, it was thrill, but this is something that I somewhat expected. I just didn't know when it was going to happen. But I somewhat expected that because I would think a dream about those kind of things uh, happening. Not Greg getting hurt or anything else, but having my opportunity to play. So when Greg went down with that knee injury and, you know, the coach came to me, he says, Mike, you got to step up. You got to step up. I said, I'm ready, coach. You just give it to me. I'm ready. I'll step up. And that was, the, that was my opportunity, you know, from, from then on, from then on, I got to play more and more and more and I got to get the ball more and more and more, you know? So uh, it was a, it was a great opportunity for me, but that was the opportunity that was, I, I was looking for at some point in time. Mike, looking back, I want to talk to you about the Raiders divisional playoff game that ended, of course, mm -hmm. with Red Wright 88, and then mm -hmm. the Raiders team goes on to win the Super Bowl. Did you ever get over that? You know what? It's hard to get over that because I saw us beating the Raiders. I really did. And we were down, getting down close to score. And I couldn't believe that a, a pass play came in or that a pass that they were going to throw a pass. I was thinking, man, this is not the time to throw a pass. You know what I mean? It's cold. The Raiders hated it because they weren't used to that kind of cold weather. You know what I mean? It was easy for us. I'm thinking, man, I know Ozzy, Ozzy will catch anything. He, you know, he'll catch a fly out of the air. But I'm just thinking, ah, this is not a good time to throw the ball, you know what I mean? We were so close, I think it was 11-yard line or something. Uh, so I was thinking, oh, man. And every, when he called that play, I heard everybody say, oh, oh, okay. I mean, you got to go with what the quarterback said. But um, when he threw that pass, it almost felt like, you know how everything moves in slow motion, you know? It was like small, slow motion. Intercepting the pass. We were so used to winning at the end of the game that we never thought we would lose. I think that was the hardest thing is, wait a minute, we're not supposed to lose. We're supposed to win at the end of the game. You know what I mean? We're, we've always, we're the comeback kids. You know, we're not supposed to lose this. But you know, like I said, it was, it was surreal. And it took really about a year to really you know, realize that we're not we're not going any farther than this. And then they go on and win the Super Bowl. Mm. Then you say to yourself, that was supposed to have been us. Definitely. Yeah, I often look at that team and say that even though the, the late 80s and early 90s teams were so good, 
watching what eventually happened to Denver in the Super Bowl, you realize that the Browns were further away from being a Super Bowl champion than we might have thought. Mm-hmm. But I always looked at that 79-80 Browns team as perhaps the, the closest we've ever been to being a Super Bowl champ and perhaps the best team that we've had since 64, which is really mm-hmm. saying something. Um, Mike, I, I want to end by giving you an opportunity to let Browns Nation know what they meant to you because for your entire career in Cleveland, you heard every Sunday when you took that field what you meant to them. So I would mm-hmm. like to give you an opportunity to tell Browns fans what they've meant to you over the years. I think the Browns fans have meant a tremendous amount to me because they followed us good and bad through good times and bad times. I've never really had a bad day in Cleveland. That's why I stayed here. That's why many guys stay here after, after their playing career because there is so much excitement that the fans bring you know, to the, to, to the stadium and to the Cleveland Browns. And I've always been treated with the utmost respect, you know, being, being here in Cleveland. And actually, actually, I love it here. I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't really want to be in here. I have no desire ever to go back to Chicago except just to visit. But again, being here and, and playing for the Cleveland Browns, it's, it's a great organization. I mean, they go back to the 40s and, and 50s, you know, with Jim Brown and those kind of things. But even those guys who come back, man, they're treated like 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 superheroes. So again, uh, it's you don't get that every everywhere. You know, you think around the league, everybody treats their players the same. Nobody treats their players like Cleveland does. So that's a great thing. Keep doing it. One final question: Post football life for Mike Pruitt. I know you were in the car business for many years. Right. What's mm-hmm. life? What's life like for you today? Right now, I'm retired. I retired from the car business after 27 years. I absolutely love retirement, you know, because not because you get up when you want to and everything else, because I still get up uh, somewhat early. But it's the fact that you don't have that stress level. My stress level for being in the car business is down to zero now, you know. So uh, you don't have that stress. And I think once you don't have that stress, you have a better life. You have a better lifestyle when you don't have, you're not stressed out anymore. So actually, I love being retired. I don't care what anybody say. I love it. Very good. <laughs> Mike Pruitt, so good to catch up with you. You look great. I love hearing the old stories, and I know our fans and viewers do as well. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us. All right. Thank you for having me, Jay. You did a great job. Keep it up. Thank you, sir. The great Mike Pruitt, a multiple-time Pro Bowl player, who famously said after he was released by the Browns, I'm surprised, but not bitter. And I think that saying sums up a lot about Mike Pruitt, the man. Mike, thank you again, and thank you for watching at home. We invite you to join us again for our next episode of Club 46, Driven by Bridgestone.